Hi everyone, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Joseph Whitney. This is Brewing with BIM. Where we talk about construction processes, technology, BIM, and beer. Welcome back to another episode of Bring with BIM. I'm Joe Whitney. With me is Dave Campbell. What's up, Dave? Hey, Joe. Not much. How's it going, everybody? It's going well. Going well. And with us today is a special guest, Chris Bowker. What's going on, Chris? Hey. I'm great, man. Living the life. Living the life. Love it. (laughs) Well, we're going to have an interesting conversation today as we talk about Revit, fabrication, uh, your journey, where you're going next, and all kind of cool things. Uh, as we dive into technology, but before we get into the nerdy conversation, man, I got to ask you, what are you drinking? I got some Colorado Straight bourbon from Peach Street Distillers. Oh, nice, nice. Um, I one last night, their hockey game, so got to celebrate in true Colorado fashion. I, I'm going to celebrate with you, even though I didn't watch the game or even know it took place, uh, because I'm drinking some uh, epic brewing out of Denver, Colorado, uh, some tart and juicy lemon bomb. Dave, what you got, man? Nice, nice. Uh, well, actually, I'm uh, a little off track today from what I usually, but at the same time, you know, I, uh, I'm, I've been kind of diving in and out of different things, trying. Um, you know, normally I've, I've had a bottle of peanut butter or peanut butter whiskey on deck, but uh, for my birthday yesterday, my wife actually got me a bottle of Laphroaig. I told, you know, I've been telling her you've been talking to me about it, and. I'm like, yeah, he says this, uh, I lay, you know, scotch is, is really good. And, you know, I've tried some of the, the Highlands before. I've tried some, like I told you, some Chivas Regal and um, Glenfiddich and, and a few things like that. But I'd never tried anything like this before. Um, it, it's it's an interesting, interesting sipper. It's it surprised me how smooth it is. You know, it, it definitely is very, very distinct with the smoky and the peaty the PD taste of it like that. You can tell that right off the bat, but as you kind of sit and, and, and let it kind of, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, finish, I think it's actually very smooth. Like it, the, the complexion of it is, is good. And it all comes together for a pretty good, like I said, sipper. Um, but it, it's, it's an interesting drink, dude. I, I'd say a thumbs up, bro. Good choice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Joey's been talking about that one for a while. And uh, I figured I might as well jump on the bandwagon there and see what see what it's all about. <laughs> yeah, we've been chatting about it for a while, man. And Lafroy is um, it's an interesting one. It's uh, uh, it doesn't have the burn of a of a Highland. It the smoke is different. It's not woody smoke. It's it's more earthy. It actually like it actually tastes like the the peat was wet. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like it just got that it that does. kind of that that feel to it. That that uh, taste to it. But um, you know, it's uh, it's something I enjoy. I like Oban and Lafroy, and I do enjoy some Highlands, but uh, the Islays are there. You know, that's a good sipping whiskey, man. You throw a stone in it, and uh, you know, my, that's my afternoon. I'm good. Yep, yep, yep. I've got a King Cube in there for now, which I've just started seeing that they have the the stones. So I'm curious to see how that'll work. And man, I got those uh, 
you know, we we talked about it yesterday. Those uh, bourbon bullets got some of those coming. So I'm curious to see how that. And I'm I'm excited to put that in some of my whiskey. Chris, have you heard about these bourbon bullets before? No, I definitely got my curiosity peak as I'm going to be going on Google after this. So so they're made by uh, it's their veteran owned company. Um, at least the one that we bought through, I think, you know, maybe some other companies make them, but, uh, essentially it's wood that's been infused with, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, they're made out of different, uh, barrels. Uh, yes, barrels, they're made but, out of bit different barrel staves. Yep. Yeah. So they've got like, uh, notes of vanilla and cherry and all that sort of stuff and they're different woods. Um, and I think they even have some that, are, you know, they've been charcoal and all that sort of stuff. But what you do is you put it in your decanter, or your bottle, and it mm-hmm. infuses it, uh, kind of with those notes. You know, it's not like soaked in vanilla and then your whiskey tastes like vanilla. It's 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 much more subtle than that. Yeah, it's, they have uh, oak, uh, oak for toffee, caramel, and vanilla. Cherry for some tart sweetness and removing the bite of of whiskey. Maple, um, it's more like a a strong flavor of vanilla, um, but also you know desserty kind of finish. Yeah, it supposedly makes your whiskey uh, smoother, which you know I you know I. You know, over time, you kind of appreciate, I guess, a little bit of the burn, not too much burn, but you appreciate a little bit of the burn of whiskey. Um, and you actually learn to identify certain whiskeys by their burn. But mm-hmm. I feel like uh, this this is going to be interesting. So Dave and I each ordered uh, some some bullets and uh, we're going to try them out on a future episode. Yeah, I found yeah. that here from Battleground Farm. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, it's modeled after the 338 Lapua. Uh, awesome. Made from 100% untreated American white oak or, uh, or maple or cherry. That's it's awesome. I'm very excited to try it. Very excited been, to try that. We've been geeking out on these uh, for like the past day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For all you whiskey drinkers out there, that's another uh, thing to check out. Battleground Farm has the uh, bourbon bullet. That's uh, pretty exciting. I'll, we'll go ahead and give our review after we get these in and, and put them in a couple bottles and see what it does. Maybe we'll give some away. We'll see what happens. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah, we could do a yeah. giveaway with those. Be a nice, nice uh, gift for some guests, man. There we go. Hey, um, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, we're going to spend the whole episode talking about whiskey because that's all Dave and I ever talk about, <laughs> even, even, even not recording. But uh, before we before we jump back into whiskey, man, Chris, um, you know, you and I met through a mutual acquaintance. You, you know, work wise and all that sort of stuff. Um, you've got a, you know, pretty prestigious role. I loved your uh, signature and your email. It kept changing. It would say like BIM, BIM Jedi and BIM Ninja and all that sort of stuff. Um, but, uh, tell, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, I've been, uh, in the construction business for over 20 plus years. Um, started out in the field, plunging toilets, and then gradually moved into construct, uh, you know, commercial construction. And, uh, I work for a company here in DC. Um, and, uh, most of our bread and butter are, um, either government contracts or uh, high-rise buildings, apartments, condos. That, that's all anyone's building anymore, multi-use buildings. And uh, and in between that time of being with this contractor, I did a five-year stint in, in the Army, got deployed to Iraq, came back, 
the army said, okay, we kind of broke you, so we don't need you no more. And I just went back into uh, BIM. So I pretty much started in coordination back when the light tables were just being phased out and we were still using AutoCAD to just overlay duck and you're trying to figure out, okay, the, the, the end of the pipe is at eight foot and it slopes up and you're approximately you know, eight feet away. So it's going to be an inch higher than what's shown and trying to figure that out. And then I went and when I got out of the army and I went back into coordination, they had this thing called Navis and I was blown away by how big technology leaped from 2005 to 2010. And I fell in love with Navis. And then as I got better with it and better with it, I grew to hate it because it stirred up all my dirty laundry <laughs> and stuff. And so, but um, yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm a uh, technically a de facto BIM manager, though I'm out the door. I'm uh, leaving my company to start my own thing. Uh, still going to be doing coordination, but building families on the side, um, economically affordable families for for anyone who uses Revit. I'm uh, yeah, I'm just building different families. I charge like a buck, two, three dollars. I got some weld bend fittings I created. Uh, they're like three dollars, so I'm not trying to rip people off or or anything, but um, everything works. Not like what you normally get uh, from somebody. Um, they, these have all been tested. We've used them at my company, and and they don't break like a lot of uh, well, other parts well, when you try to put slope to them, and they just start to go disappear, and they don't and they disconnect. So, so it's pretty cool stuff. Will you be creating customized families? Can people reach out to you to have mm -hmm. one-off families created? Yeah, um, actually, um, someone asked me to build some. Uh, a was it F3500 Omnicon flow meter family, and uh, and it's flow meters Omnicon offers none, and as far as Revit family, so I built it for for this guy, and when I delivered it to him, he's like, dude, you you've even got the measurable distances for the uh, ten times pipe diameters before and five times after. So that I can look at it inside of Navis and I know that I got enough room for my straights on, on my pipe. You have the clearance zone shown. You can adjust it for different uh, lengths and sizes of the meters and uh, stuff like that. So, yeah, I can I can pretty much build a lot of things. I don't like to build um, like manufacturer specific equipment like a chiller or something. It's just it's just way too much and there's too many variations. But uh, most devices, you know, I can I can usually get in pretty pretty good as long as I got a good submittal that'll give me the dimensions. Well, I think I think you touched on a couple of different things there. Um, one, of course, being the experience, right? Especially when you're when you're creating families. You need the experience, especially in coordination, to know like what your clearances are, things like that. So you do make things easier for people downstream, because that's really you know what we want to focus on too. Is is of course yes, ease of use for the user themselves, but downstream utilizing that data. Um, we don't want to just lose that family or the parameters that are associated to it. And the other thing I, I kind of wanted to touch on there, I know we started kind of talking about it. <clears throat> 
pre-podcast there, but um, you know, it, it's one of those things that I see a lot of people are are kind of getting into in terms of you know the, when they when they make the switch to Revit and let's say in terms of like a MEP electrical kind of fabrication focused, right? Um, what we're seeing is commonly a uh, uh, this void, this kind of dispute between going, do we jump in to Revit and try to create our families? Or do we use something like Fabrication CAD MEP? Do we try to create elements in there, you know, connect a catalog? Um, there's a lot up in the air going back and forth between, you know, the different ways to do it. And, you know, kind of as you were talking about there, especially with these add-ins, if you add a slope in some ways or you try to customize uh, a part or add a parameter and it breaks the entire catalog or, you know, it corrupts your model, it, it erases the pipe like it takes it out. There's a whole lot of different things that that happen with this. Um, so typically what I'm seeing is there is a benefit to doing it within Revit. You just have to have that, you have to have that experience, right? And you have to have that, um, that, that knowledgeable, I think, staff to help create, but utilize those families as well and know how to push that data into them, but also what information to get out. Oh yeah. Um, like for, for instance, when I first transitioned our company from, AutoCAD to Revit, I mean, that was baby steps because I had like six drafters that I had to teach Revit and I had, I was still learning it myself and trying to find things that actually worked. And I got everyone working with families. And then what I found is as people left and went to work other places, I had to retrain new people. And with the fabrication tools that Autodesk has brought into Revit, um, you know, they I'm not going to say they've done an amazing job, but I'm just not satisfied with them. But the guys that I work with like them because they're easy. You can pick a piece of pipe and then you can put an elbow on the end. It's it's like you're in the field. I'm going to take a piece of pipe. I'm going to cut it and I'll put an elbow on the end. And I'm going to put another pipe on there and I'm going to go from it. And they really like it. But what I find is as I work with more GCs like the Whiting Turners, um, the Clarks and everything, they require clearance zones for valves and and different items. And with the fabrication parts, you don't have those options available to you. You have to literally create an exclusion or some type of clearance zone to put around it or get an access door that has a clearance zone that you can extend up. And to tell you the truth, the fabrication valves just look, crap, look like crap. So. We do use a lot of, uh, we'll use fabrication pipe and fittings. And then when it gets to valves and devices, like the flow meters and such, we'll, we'll plug in a Revit family and then we'll just keep on going from there. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Now, typically, I mean, I, I, what I want to see, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, I've been, you know, Joey and I have been talking about this all incorporating BIM for a while now, but, you know, we've started seeing, of course, the integration of catalogs with fabrication. They're pulling that into Revit. You know, um, we see the SysQs, the Victolics that are creating, you know, parametric Revit families that can be utilized for spooling and, and different things like that to precision or fabrication kind of precision specs. Um, advanced steel, you know, we're starting to see a lot of that come over for the steel fabrication parts of it. You know, eventually, I, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping again, going back to all incorporating BIM, but I want to see it all inside of Revit, right? I don't want to have to go out to some outside application 
to try and adjust this part or draw an entire new part where I can, you know, just as easily duplicate type, go into the type parameters, you know, and tweak it however I may need to and, and create that new kind of family very quickly that can, you know, instantly duplicate the parameters in terms of materials and everything like that and, and just push information in it. Yeah, well, that's kind of where fabrication falls down, too, uh, because you have to go back into AutoCAD. I can I can see it eventually that Autodesk will do something like they did with the reports function, where they where you click on a button and it takes you to a Windows dialog box. And then it kind of works outside of it's not actually internal to Revit. It's still an outside application, but you're not having to use AutoCAD to launch the software. I can see Autodesk trying to do that, um, and and I think that's the direction they're going to take because I I don't see them writing a whole new family editor for it. Well, um, no, no, no. And and and, uh, and and the way they keep pawning things off onto other uh, companies like uh, Evolve and signing exclusive partnerships with them, I think they're actually um, doing the typical thing that they do with most of their software. They get about 80%, and then, <laughs> they start to, and then they start to pull back, and they're like, okay, guys, you guys can take over. I mean, you take AutoCAD MEP. I loved AutoCAD MEP. I, I went from CAD Pipe to um, CAD MEP, by map software before Autodesk bottom out and made a fabrication to AutoCAD MEP. And AutoCAD MEP was amazing. I've always said it was just four years too late because yep. everyone had bought into uh, CAD MEP or yeah, CAD, CAD MEP and uh, CAD Doc. And Autodesk was just kind of left holding the bag with that. And uh, they partnered with another company that said, oh, we're going to make it to where you can push it into Revit and go back and forth. And that didn't work with East Coast CAD. So, And then they just bit the bullet and just bought fabrication or CAD MEP fa fabrication for all intents and purposes. And then and, East Coast CAD was still trying to sell their, their plug-in, which was yeah. uh, interesting. Um, yeah, so the, the fabrication side of things, like, you know, Davey talked about this all-encompassing BIM. If we were ever wanting to get to this point where we talk about prefabrication being, you know, standard, you know, mod modular construction, DFMA, all this sort of stuff where we're bridging this gap between <laughs> manufacturing and construction and you know, this big, big goal that everybody says we're so close to getting to, but realistically, I, we're a decade at best away. I um, took a shot for that one, by, by the way, Joey. Thank you yes. for that. Yeah, the bridging the gap. Bridging the gap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there it is, dude. Every anytime, <laughs> anytime you say it, man. Yeah, so like, like you know, to get to that point, it. I, I don't know if it has to be one software that get us there, but it has to be a software that that uh, that connects to every component. And, and Revit will get us there, you know, mm -hmm. with a lot of script writing, a lot of manual processes, yeah. and a lot, a lot of, of duplication of dependencies. Just like yeah. Chris there they're reaching out and we have to let well, you know something else kind of finish up that that other 20 percent well, but i think joe well, that's the pareto principle with everything it, it's the 80 20 rule man it is it is yeah. but i think like the connectivity that it has to have at well, that point that's that, what we're seeing right well that's why i think uh so autodesk uh, they got amy on board you know the queen of prefab 
they're they're putting a renewed issue uh, effort in here they're really forcing this generative design dynamo write your own script and we'll enable you to do whatever you want with it mm -hmm. right and they're trying to push that but what i foresee as the end all be all goal is i think there's going to be an, an acquisition um and you know hold me to it if i'm wrong but i believe in the next you know two years we'll probably see an acquisition from autodesk in this space where they're going to come around and just say you know what we're going to bridge this gap take another shot dave um aha where, there it is <laughs> where where uh um you know they 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 find somebody to solve this problem and, and tie it in and again you know in the grand scheme of things it's only going to get us incrementally closer and we're still going to have another 20 percent when you put that end goal in front of us yes. um but i you're right. Uh, they're not writing the code. I think what it's going to be is like everything else with large software companies, uh, not not shitting on them because I think what they do is amazing. But mm -hmm. I think it's going to be an acquisition that fills the void um, and then they're going to they're going to roll it in house and, you know, make make some tweaks. I think ultimately where it's going to go is what I'm banking on is that. I think that. Uh, I mean. Revit itself, the, 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 the family basis and everything is so much more powerful of a way of conveying information to every aspect of the model, whereas the fabrication parts, they're just dumb cat items. I mean, yeah, when you get outside of the fabrication and you can use cat S and a bunch of other stuff, then that's, that's kind of beneficial. But inside of Revit, they, they carry no material profiles they it, it, it it's just like very generic stuff that they don't that they don't push information like actual families and and i think that in about five years there's going to be a renewed effort where autodesk is going to start looking back at families and yep. and trying to go into that direction i think they're going to kind of go well we carried this as far as we could and we did great things and we can learn from them. I mean, I I would love to see Autodesk get with uh, the Victalic guys, Ricky Bell and Ralph Schultz, Schultz. I can never say his last name, but just like go there and have their people spend time with those two. And yep. and I know within a, you know, a couple months of collaboration that the, what Revit could be would be so much better than what it is now if they actually invest time and yep. so, so, so fabrication yeah go ahead so fabrication gives us a few things when we get it into fabrication uh fabrication cat mep rather than into revit you're right 100 percent. nothing not 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 nothing but not everything rather translates to revit uh the benefit though is hey look you know Rather than, you know, saving out MAJ files and doing all my stuff in fabrication and then bringing those MAJ, bringing that MAJ into Revit or multiple MAJs if I'm using some kind of plugin to allow me to do that, um, I can actually stay in Revit, push it to fabrication, mm -hmm. and then continue from there in fabrication. The idea being we solve coordination and then we get into the shop, uh, you know, the, 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 the detailing side of things. And then we can run our optimization services for, you know, figure out where to cut duct and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. We can write these scripts and use it. But until we get that kind of functionality, as you're saying, where we need this renewed effort into Revit families, where Revit families act more like um, a secondary database, if you will, where we can actually optimize things. There's, 
you know, there's more to it uh, programmatically. I'm butchering that word, <laughs> just the visual components and the querying components, but actually yes. being able to optimize and, and run a bunch of stuff. And I know we can do that with uh, Dynamo and a few other plugins that are already out there that are getting us there, right? We talk about these these fabrication tools, these spooling tools that are helping mm -hmm. us. But, um, you know, this is why I think a, a, an acquisition, you know, that's prime well, for Autodesk on this stuff. I, yeah. I, I like that too, Joe, but I think this also goes back to our pot, the podcast we had last year versus the, uh, you know, that lean versus swole BIM. And uh, I, I'm, I'm all about it, Chris. Like I want more information and more data that we can put into these Revit families. If we can essentially use, uh, I don't even need to say Revit, but if we can use that like Revit model of those families in, a, in an aggregative environment, right? Um, essentially like a database, we're gonna go to that model to pull information about our warranties to see when it was installed, to see when you know gaskets have been replaced, everything like mm -hmm. that. If we can keep that in a central environment, but the more that we can, even let's just say if we can, if we have to push that out right into some FM environment that eventually will handle this this type of Revit data, the more that we can handle inside of this Revit model, right, in, in terms of the more data we can store in it, the better for translation downstream. But yeah. I think that also kind of goes back to, you know, our last podcast that we had um, where we were kind of talking to Lenovo there, Joey, and that's computing, you know, performance, the performance of these of, of our hardware nowadays. Um, the more information that we put into something like our Revit model, the more, you know, parameters, the more connections, the more everything, the more data we push into it, the more these things, they just become these data beasts, right? And our, our, a lot of our hardware struggles to keep up with it. And I think that's why we're seeing, you know, the kind of push to cloud computing and things like that. So I'm excited to see where we go you know, moving to the future with, you know, cloud capabilities. And as I'm, 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 I'm hoping that what Chris is saying, you know, does actually come to fruition. That would be amazing if we could, you know, push more data and make those Revit families more detailed um, mm -hmm. so that we can, you know, just push forward with that information instead of having to go out and come back again and go out and come back. Uh, yeah, I the, mean, the cool thing. A couple of years ago, I talked to you. You're talking about walking through the model and and getting these uh, calculation loads and um, knowing when to replace the filters and everything. A couple of years ago, I talked to uh, we, we we did a lead platinum building in D.C. and we met with these folks who wanted who was working on a a game engine for NAB that would replace Navis, so you could walk through the model more effortlessly. But one of the things that they they had on their roadmap was this is before fabrication come along and started to filter into it was um, they wanted to take my model that I created inside of Revit and and they wanted to be able to simulate the use of the equipment and have the building engineer with a tablet be able to walk through and know when the last time a piece of equipment was serviced and yeah. and, and they were saying through the connectivity of Revit. All that was possible, but they couldn't do it in CAD because CAD didn't have the same connectivity and it wouldn't measure loads. And that's the same thing with these fabrication fittings is they don't measure the loads. And like I said, they're just dumb CAD items that sit there. Yep. So we're missing so much opportunity for this new data. I mean, we think of the construction side, the coordination side, but we're not going into building operations. 
and the preventive maintenance of building operations and how someone can just turn on their tablet and then they can get a complete readout of their entire building from their tablet and, and they and they know exactly how much fluids running through the pipes and you know when the last time the filters were changed and and how much uh, efficiency you're getting yeah. out of the units. Yeah. And with families, you could do that. But, you know, and, and that's where I think where everything's going to, and that's why I'm thinking there's, there's, there's going to be a big push back into the family structure and, and how that all worked out. And that makes total sense. I mean, even as we talk about the future of what fabrication services look like, where they, you know, eventually migrate to the cloud and that sort of stuff. Um, I feel like there's got to be a, a better design to interact with, uh, or almost a one for one to to, to uh, with the families, right? So like, mm-hmm. we, we Revit's not treating them like uh, .ITMs and and parts and services. What it's actually treating it as is a Revit family, just a Revit family structured in a database that we would treat normally like we would with uh, parts and services. Um, but in the end all be all, they end up being, you know, for better or worse, a Revit family or something that is easily translatable into a Revit family. Yeah. 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 This is where Joey, you and I were talking about this, I think like a couple years ago before you went out to Pennsylvania, but being able to generate like Revit family data from like a, a DB link, like a database SQL link or something like that, you know, and essentially just linking that database and, and being able to pull that information in to create your kind of families right and yeah and i just that sense, i just it, oh, i just wanted to read parts services.itms read all that information and create a family and populate a database allow you to pick and choose yeah dude. come over with it the issue is there has to be some input of information because not all the information that you need to build a revit family is actually in those parts and services so there is a disconnect yeah. there's a manual um component which you know does mm-hmm. suck but, you know, I, I think for the most part, we could we could fake it and get us close enough. It just might be a moot point if we were to do that, because one, you know, people like Chris are building amazing families. And then the future of of, uh, you know, fabrication components is, is yet to be seen. Yeah, I so mean, I've, I've often thought that Autodesk, when they bought Map Software, made a big boo boo. I mean, somebody had the great idea that they were going to take all these contractors who use fabrication, they're going to push it in, in the Revit. I get that. But, I, I, I mean, the the minor, it's not minor, to, but the, the programming changes is all they would have had to do inside of Revit to accomplish what, what you're talking about is, one, add intelligent connectors to the end of the pipe. Let the, let the pipe know that it needs a cast iron no-hub band or a welded joint or something like that. So each connector will connect to that and and leave it generic so that the engineers can just draw their design and do their design unhindered without having to get that deep into the pipe types and the fabrication. And then as far as the rest, they could have just built ready-made families where you just plug in the data. Okay, from the center point of the fitting to the end is A, dimension and and they could have they, they could have made pre-made families that would have made it easier for people to uh create like uh patterns like uh fabrications got the pack patterns they could have created those inside the family editor 
and made it easy for people to go in there and just create their own families. And yeah, my, my thought process on this is um, it's all leading towards that generative design kind of, you know, talk track in, in the sense of, you know, we're establishing the parameters and we're watching the design happen, right? The more that we can, I, I think, embrace that kind of thought process in terms of, you know, um, there are, there are so many programs out there, that, like Edgewise, that Reddit. Like a step backwards, though, Doesn't that really feel uh, like a step backwards? Sorry, man, I, I really want to interrupt you uh, just to, to emphasize this. You mentioned setting things program um, as parameters and then having it draw from you. Doesn't that sound like a step backwards? Doesn't that no. sound like we're back to like the 1980s programming where you input a bunch of like parameters and then you, you know, you pretty much write a whole bunch of code and then it draws out for you. The, 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 I mean, the yes, idea. but at the same time, that's not <laughs> such a bad thing. Right. I mean, so what I'm thinking of is, is kind of as Chris is saying, um, I mean, that's the placeholder workflow. That's typically what I think of when, you know, a lot of times other than like the exterior kind of, you know, footprint, the foundation, the walls, windows, things like that. But that's typically what I think of when I get an architectural drawing. If I'm seeing columns, if I'm seeing ducts, anything like that, they're all placeholders, right? Mm -hmm. So in the sense, you're giving the engineers the capability to go ahead and say, I want it to run this way. But what, you know, what I'm thinking of is more of <clears throat> being able to tie generative design to not only code compliance, but let's say these, uh, you know, the AISC for steel. So, and I guarantee you have other, um, I can't think of the catalog books for MEP, but if we can connect these different catalog books and the typicals, you know, master spec or whatever it is, giving us the typical details, the sizes, you know, the materials, things like that. At that point, you're using Revit's already smart, you know, type selector kind of engine. So and you're transferring the properties. You're just saying, okay, I want to take all of this and convert it into this, you know, or or let's say that we have, you know, a, a, a connection to that parametric kind of database, that Excel spreadsheet, you know, that we can go ahead and just input in this information. We have these columns. You have all of these columns that need to be filled in. What pipe material you're using? What, you know, is this? What type of connector? And it might have a drop down with different types so that you have loaded into your project. You know, it, it's the it, if I think about it, the framework's already there with your different pipe types and, you know, the different connection like preferences, the routing preferences and things like that that you have in Revit. It seems like it's all there. It just needs yeah, to be connected. The, the generative design component, I mean, it's all there. And I was just giving you a hard time. I'm, I'm a big fan of generative design. You know, I like Dynamo and uh, I like to see where it's going. But, you know, thinking about all that, though, what's the next step beyond that? It's AI just choosing which one is the best, best fit and then finding an engineer to stamp it. And then is Autodesk... Uh, you know, or whoever is that know, what they're I, doing with architects right now, though, with, but, with, but with isn't design this, options? But aren't they potentially um, taking on well, more I litigation? Think about design One options that's just giving different options. Yeah, yeah. But isn't it isn't it potentially um, uh, you know down the road taking money out of their pocket because I you know ideally I only need two seats uh, because the software is going to fill the other 38 seats that that I would take. Yes, I, I get you there. But at the same time, is any of that truly perfect? No. But if you think about it, is it a start? Is it a better start? Does it? Can you but, use the data from your previous projects or anything like that? Can if, you use these if parameters? If it gets me 80% of beginning? the way there, then I need 80% of the work less workforce to get me there. Okay. Uh, yeah. 
But that's starting to cut into the problems that we face now in the industry. We still have labor issues and finding yeah. people that can do this. Yeah, so yeah well, you're already talking about sure. something that should be happening based on what we're seeing. Well, yeah. and, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, guys. Uh, no, I know, dude. I love this. That's, let's do it. Yeah. But aren't we already? Isn't the labor shortage that we're facing mainly on the on, in the field and not so much on in the office? Yes, it's hard to find uh, BIM guys, but I guarantee you, I can train a guy to to model stuff and and use the software. Obviously, he's not going to know code and he's not going to know how things are built. But at the end of the day, you know, he's got you know. Uh, uh, you know, okay. the installer down, and down I got the hall two questions can, for you. I got two questions for you off of that. One, how long is it going to take you to get that person spun up? And then two, well, the class? Three days how, how much guarantee <laughs> do you have that that person is going to stay there after they've learned all of the stuff that you've taught them? That, well, is that what we're facing now? Yeah. It's, there's there's a big jump around because that's sorry, Chris, man, go ahead. But we're just yeah. rambling. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. The uh, training and everything. But but I was going into the. Um, one of the things that I face mostly is we have the best software we've ever had. We have generative design, we got Dynamo, we got Revit, we got AutoCAD, you got Navis, you can bring it all together and you got construction cloud and you got all this stuff out there, but the money isn't there. The owners are not willing to pay for it. So, so now we got this best software. So we, we, we have engineers who, still draw an AutoCAD because they don't want to learn Revit. And then they ship the projects overseas because it's cheaper to have some guy in India, the Philippines, China, Guatemala draw what they just did in AutoCAD. And so that's so that's the one thing is that the, the information we're getting, we have all this great software, but the information we're getting is degrading yes. as, as we as go. And that's down. what it, biggest problems we have in in the industry it's 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 not i don't think it's a a labor shortage or whatever it's it's the money shortage because we 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 got all this stuff that does the work but it costs money to to get it and every time i talk to an engineer they're like well they don't pay me enough for that well yeah i give you the typical design and then it's your job as a contractor to shoehorn it all in yeah and you're like but it doesn't fit. <laughs> yep. You could have figured this out. Yeah, dude. And I, I think, yeah. you know, it's funny. I keep referring back to some of our, our previous podcasts, but we had one with um, Johan Tuckler. Um, and he, you know, usually comes on to give us the kind of owner's perspective, right, from the sense of BIM. And Joey and I have been on this kind of kick lately as well in terms of trying to educate owners about BIM yeah. and the data, the the value, the return of investment that you get from something like that. And I think that's a key point to what you were saying there. You know, the, the lack of money is the lack of investment. We have to to give these owners a reason to want to invest in this, to, to say, I want this in the contract. I want this to happen because unless they are, unless they're saying that, a lot of times it doesn't happen. You know, the GC is trying to specify, okay, this is what we're going to do. Or, you know, the, the owner's rep is, is going ahead and trying to, you know, navigate and regulate everybody on, in terms of what they're using for this project. But it all, a lot of times has to start with the owner and how much money that they're going to spend mm-hmm. and whether they think it's a valid investment or not. So we have to educate and we have to give them that peace of mind that this information that you're going to take, not only is it going to build you a building, but you're going to have this awesome data set to go back and refer to, you know, moving forward, you can run your analysis. Yeah. It has to be in the contract. It has to be part of the, yeah. 
It the, has the to, owner, but it starts at the top, dude. Shit rolls downhill. Everybody knows that. So it, it, it's got to start at the top. Yeah. So the owner essentially has to, and we, again, we, we're beating a dead horse here. Uh, the owner has to uh, essentially identify it as a need, be sold on it, whether that's to the CM, the architect, owner's rep, whoever is, you know, the, the FM team. Somebody needs to educate the owner enough to say these are the benefits of BIM, you know, and we actually need this, and this is what we need at each phase because uh, getting to this point where, where uh, Chris was mentioning where, you, yeah, it's your job to actually make it constructible. I just provided you the engineering specs, essentially, and yeah, you, well, you got to figure it well, out. That's what we get from, from, from the engineers now. I mean, they're like, well, we gave you the Revit model, and, and we gave you the uh, design intent. That's what they like to use now, right? And so they're like, you got to make it fit. And when well, it doesn't, just kind of call me, but don't really depend on me to give you an actual answer <laughs> on yeah. this because we don't know. And and that's like the biggest thing. What one of the things that I always push for, and you know, from the coordination side, is I was always pushing the GCs to have the concrete contractor provide us what they're going to build. Yep. And for years i would get blank stares like well why do you want that and i'm like uh because they have all the beams and the drop panels and and all the nasty (laughs) stuff that that forces my pipe below the ceilings that you want to preserve (laughs) and it's just recently that i'm starting to get some traction on the coordination side where gcs are actually uh starting to make the concrete contractor provide 3d drawings versus just the uh uh, structural drawings with a different title block that, that they so, can so i i know um this is going to be a, a shameless plug for somebody but um i know an engineering firm that goes above and beyond they uh not only they're they're bucking the trends and all of this sort of stuff they educate their teams in revit they hire young engineers you know while they're still in college and get them up to speed and they're training them and paying for training all the while, making sure that they're doing everything they can to not only f- f- facilitate stuff for the owners and the architects, but also so constructability downstream is not hindered. And they actually want to be involved in everything. They're saying, look, if something needs to be changed or revised and it's not constructible, let us know. So a big shout out to John Quillen at Marquee Engineering. Uh, if anybody you know, you know, know, needs an engineer, call these guys. They do it all. Uh, structural MEP, but they're, they're, you know, this, I'm hoping what they're doing is going to be a trend in the industry where we're actually seeing, um, you know, engineers want to be more involved because what we're coming to in this point is, um, I don't know if you guys remember years ago where surveyors actually used to do, you know, layout on buildings and, and all that stuff. Well, engineers used to be more involved in coordination. Engineers used to have, uh, you know, they didn't just stamp a drawing and, and put it out. There was, there's a real involvement there. Um, and now it just seems like, well, Hey, you know, what you're saying there is it's not my problem here. You know, if you guys figure out in field, I've done my job, I've collected my, my stipend and I'm good. Um, I think, you know, it's going to, it's going to fall on engineers like, like that firm to kind of come back and say, look, no, we actually provide real value guys. And, and we deserve the portion that we're getting paid and, and we're doing, doing our due diligence rather than you guys taking some of these, uh, responsibilities in house with coordination and actually doing, uh, the, the constructability, you know, does it fit aspect? Well, and I think, Joe, you're, you're hitting on a couple of big points there. We definitely want to see 
you know, the engineers getting more involved with not only the design, but the construction process itself. And especially through coordination, this kind of tied into one of the things I wanted to talk to Chris about as well, um, with the detailing of these families, the creation of these Revit families. And <clears throat> as you were talking about earlier, if we can build the security clearances or anything like that in with it, it's going to help coordination further. And that is a huge yeah. thing that we really need to think about is, you know, when you're going into constructability and you're really looking at coordination, you know, VDC looking at bringing all of, aggregating all of that data to really make those those good decisions, or at least have the, the knowledge to make those good decisions moving forward. Having that information in your families is huge. You know, as you're kind of talking about there, Chris, you know, fabrication parts are coming over. They're great, but they're also just kind of dumb CAD parts, right? And when we go to use that for coordination, <clears throat> it is what it is. You get what you get, right? Yeah. But again, if we can, uh, and, and everybody listening, if, if we can push more information and start detailing those Revit families out with, you know, as we're saying there, the clearance distances or let's say a safety corridor or anything like that. And again, as we start as we start tying this information further, it's going to help with coordination, again, constructability. But hey, there's also these applications out there now that are looking at these models and tracking things through cameras or sensors and scanners and being able to alert people if they're, you know, if they happen to be walking into a safety corridor or or they have to be you know they are violating like this clearance space it, it, it's awesome how you're seeing the technology come full circle but it has to start there right and i think if we can push the more we can push into these revit families again because as you're saying they can be used for analyzing the you know insights the flow analysis the you know pressure drops all of that can be analyzed so it's not only taking that but again as you as you move forward down that process through construction it's actually going to help that process as well when we're bringing it all all that data together um and i mean that's kind of what you're seeing right chris yeah um yeah exactly um yeah especially because the families can push all that information and but a lot of it is unfortunately autodesk doesn't have a standard and there's no mm -hmm. national standard you know to, to like yeah. kind of push that so everyone's kind of well, then it's hard phone. to find those families, yeah. man. I mean, you're, you're yeah. using what Revit City, or you're reaching out to, uh, oh gosh, what is that? What BIMSmart or uh, BIM Tools? Is that or what it just is? Calling Chris, come on, man. Yeah, yeah. You, oh, you're you calling got, Chris. You got yeah. BIMSmith, you got uh, BIM yeah, Object. Object, and, yep. Uh, what I find is with BIMSmith and BIM Object is, is I'm not sure about BIMSmith, but I know BIM Object. They, I believe, they charge the manufacturers to host their families there. So everyone can get exposure and then you can yes. download them and then go there. Yeah. And, and I'm like, man, that's, that's one way to do it. But um, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's like a lot of the families that I build um, that I built for my company. Like um, I took Hilti sleeves for years. We've always used Hilti sleeves. So I took their, so I downloaded their, their families and I looked at them. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not getting the information that I need. A lot of times you get a sleeve with a topping slab. So when you put the sleeve in for Hilti, it tells you the thickness of the concrete, but you didn't have a parameter to say that you're, you had a topping slab above. So I had to extend the top of the sleeve up four inches or a drop panel or a uh, slab fold below. So, you know, I added different parameters, changed their sleeves and actually brought it up and down. And Hilti said, that's a great idea. 
And I even gave them my family's and they never did anything with it. What are you doing? It's funny, but a lot of people don't really think about the the nesting of families within Revit and how you can stack Mm -hmm. multiple things and with the click of a, you know, checkbox essentially activate a whole different portion if you needed this portion of the detail or it's, it's awesome, but it's, it's one of those those things you, you maybe don't think of quite a bit. You don't see it quite often. Yeah. I got drain families right now that I'll be posting, uh, within the next month, I'm still doing some testing. On, so where on are you posting these? Uh, I'm posting them on my website, valorvdc.com, B-A-L-O-R-V, as in Victor, uh, dc.com. Okay. And uh, uh, these drain families, I, think, I don't know if you're familiar with Zern and how they have the stabilizer plate. Mm-hmm. And you can literally put the, sta- and the stabilizer plate, you screw it to the deck. And they and it holds the drain in place. So when the concrete guy drags the hose across the deck and all your yeah. sleeves and inserts are popping off, it hits the stabilizer and the drain doesn't move. And the drain doesn't float like the, the old style way when I was coming up where you yeah. would tie wire them down. You'd have all these little yep. pieces of tie wire going down. And then, <laughs> and, and, and then when it was time to put your... Uh, um, your uh, pans down, your chloralloy pans, you had to get there with a grinder and grind the wire sticking out so it wouldn't poke holes in in your uh, shower pan. But these here, I have stabilizers, and, and these drains will actually tell you how thick the concrete is, uh, how uh, for your stabilizer piece, you, you actually have a six-inch pipe that goes between the stabilizer and up to the bottom of the drain. And all this information is aggregated, and you can just spool it or schedule it and send your shop a schedule and say, and, and the shop will know, okay, I got these Z415 uh, drains with this type of stabilizer, and I need this many pipes cut, and the rods need to be this length, and you just, uh, and they can assemble them in the shop and ship them out. And, and we've been using them, but I've been trying to make them a little better before I, before I market them on, on uh, my site. And that's just some of the things that I'm looking to push out is uh, stuff like that. Uh, a lot of times we'll use watch now, do they have reporting parameters? Because that's what it, it do they have mm-hmm. reporting parameters in it? Yeah. 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 Okay. What it's got is it's got a reporting parameter and you can literally adjust. And, and, and with these drains here, they're not like your typical drains you would get from BIM Smith or BIM Object or from the Zern site. Uh, these drains here... I have a checkbox where you can set the grate by top of concrete. So your grate's level with the concrete because in most floor drains, you know, it's uh, a mechanical room. So your grate's mm-hmm. level, or if it's a shower drain, I, you can click another uh, yes, no parameter, which will raise the flange up and uh, it, it'll put the flange flush with the concrete so they can lay the shower drain in and then put the mud in and then adjust the grate up and down. Um, nice. Yeah, so these here, I mean, they're well thought out families for the people who seriously want to fabricate and uh, make and and not have to struggle with trying to say, okay, I got eight inch deck and they're down there trying to measure the bottom of the drain to the stabilizer and then the yep. shop's got to figure it all out. Where all this stuff is just, it's, you know, it's just a schedule. You just kick it out to your shop. I need well, 16 drains like this with this long pipe and this long rod, 
eight drains like this because the deck is a little different. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and that way, and unfortunately like Watts and Jossum don't offer stabilizers, but my, my shop sometimes likes to cut the pipe and what they'll do is they'll weld, they'll spot weld a pipe to the underside of the drain. And then they just use caddy clips to clip it to the deck. So I started doing that on some of my pipes too. So, you know, it takes, it takes the time from the field to have to cut a piece of steel Mm -hmm. on the deck and realize how thick it is. So they do it in the shop and they weld them up, put a tag on, on it. It's, it's got an APL point. So the machine knows exactly where to put it. The top awesome. machine. Yeah. Right. And we just set it right there on the deck and screw it down and walk away. And that's what I like hearing. You know, that's one of the big things about uh, family creation that make it kind of hard to get into is that experience. If you don't have that experience, that knowledge to know, okay, this is valuable and this is not, um, okay, I'm going to go ahead and place this flange so it adjusts, or I know, how to, uh, you know, we, we need to make this steel plate cut here and mm-hmm. how this is actually going to be constructed in the field, but also in the sense of knowing, hey, you know, just the simple thought process of, hey, let's put a GTP point in here for APL so that when, every time we place this, it's already going to have that, you know, layout point. It's not something that somebody has to go down through later and, and place it in there. It's already there. Um, that It's awesome. It really is. Um, And that's really, again, tying back to that point. But when a lot of people get into family creation, it's it's very hard for companies to kind of also evaluate whether it is worth them. You know, okay, we have to train these people like let's go ahead and send them to a class that gets you the basic family knowledge. Cool. So you learn how to draw extrusions, you know, things like that. You're doing sweeps, you're pulling different parts, you start learning about nesting, but then you got to get into the experience of the construction portion in itself. Like the detailers themselves have to know how this has to be constructed, how it's going to go together, what they're going to do in the field, what they prefer in the field. And having like, honestly, trying to get that amount of time into these families, it's very costly. So if we can have the more people that we have, I feel like being able to to give that experience and build, um, share this, you know, these Revit families and and put that data out there, the more I feel like that's another kind of, um, well, I, I don't want to say disturbance, but it's a it's a good kind of disruption of of our industry of how we do things, right? In that sense of of no, let's let's stop with this kind of fabrication portion or you know this CAD and inserting these assembly these CAD assemblies. Why don't we go ahead and detail some of this and make it a Revit family and let's nest it with this. Let's or let's reach out to some of these these family creators who you know who do this for a living and this is what this is their bread and butter and they have the construction experience to help us bring over these families so that you know again we're not wasting time trying not I'm not going to say wasting but we're not investing time into training everybody how to do this and then also handing handling this model over that may not be fully constructible so the construction portion has the rework in that sense too so we're we're kind of bridging the gap boom another shot yeah. but we're, we're kind of bridging that gap right from that pre-construction construction fabrication we're, we're taking it all the way around um with with that data yeah i mean it's it's well said um yeah i i've always liked to create stuff and I'm always trying to make families better. One of the things that I always found an issue with is when you sub work out to other people, mm-hmm. um, like to overseas, we do that because uh, we get so much, we get so busy, we can't do it all. 
So we sub work out to overseas and they do the base building and then we Standard. come in and yeah. do the coordination. And what I was finding is they would put the piping exactly where the engineer had it. So if mm -hmm. an engineer had a piece of pipe turning up half in a column, half out of a column, that's where it would be when I got the model. Or if they had a water closet and it's supposed to be 18 inches off the sidewall for handicap and 12 inches off the back wall. Uh, if the engineer had it 22 inches and 24, that's where the pipe would be. Mm -hmm. So I created some other families called layout fixture families. And these are amazing. Everyone that's used them, that I've shared them with, love them. Because they're, they're like little hockey pucks, because I'm a hockey guy, right? And um, they have connection points. So what you do is you take one of these families and you get your submittal or you know what your basis of design is. And you look at the manufacturer's cut sheet and it says that the, the drain line for a water closet is 12 inches off the back wall. And you adjust it so it's 12 inches off the back wall. And then you can say this is a WC1 toilet. And like you got a sink that's got a waste arm that's 18 inches off the wall. You got a kitchen sink where a waste arm might be 20 inches off the wall. You know, everything varies. So I have all these uh, layout families that I put in a model according to the submittals. And then when I send the, the stuff overseas, the guys have something to pipe to. And I, and I no longer get bathtubs now where um, the pipe is turning up where the drain hole is because every bathtub gets piped to a waste and overflow that's usually two to three inches or four to five inches away from the drain hole. And so, so I started doing that now. And with these fixture families, uh, we can schedule them. So, so when my project manager says, hey, I need to buy all the tubs for the fourth floor, I need to know how many right-hand tubs I need and how many left-hand tubs I need. I can send them a schedule and it'll spit it out. It'll tell them you, you need, you know, 15 right-hand tubs, this many left-hand tubs, this many ADA style WC1 toilets, this many W2 toilets, this many kitchen sinks or powder rooms. And all that stuff is schedulable and it's, and, and it's all connected and you can still get your fixture loads from it if, you know, if you're if you're trying to use uh, all that intelligent information running through, so there's a lot of things families can do that people just don't know. And you know, when I first started in in, in Revit, what I would do is I would go online and find a Kohler. Like if I had a Kohler toilet, I would like download the toilet from their site because I thought I was a real badass. And I'd put the toilet in, and then I had the architect's toilet sitting there trying to turn it off in the background. So with these families here, I, I no longer have to deal with that. And I don't have erroneous pipe going in different places. And when an architect moves a wall, because I pinned my family, I know when they move the wall because my little cross marks are off. And then I know that that has to be moved too. Heck yeah. Yep. Yep. And I, I know with some Revit families, you can even input it so it moves with wall like selected elements and things like yeah. that so you can like program that in if it moves you know you you set it at 24 inches away from the wall or whatever if that wall moves that the family moves with it so there's a a lot of a lot of things i feel like we can see there that's awesome yeah. dude thank you so much for coming on chris and uh, okay. uh, this has been this has been great dude i i i love talking uh, of course about revit families and how we can continue to improve that and, and of course in the bim um 
world, I guess, for construction, how we can continue to improve and 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 really, well, I, I, I'm going to say it again, even though my cup's empty here, but bridge the gap <laughs> between right I'll between the drink, design and, and the construction phases and the amount of rework that we're seeing based on the the detailing, right? The level of detailing, the level of detailing in these well, families or in the model itself. I mean, I just uh, I see it as a big need still moving forward. Yeah, it's a Chris, you mentioned, Chris, you mentioned something earlier that was just amazing. You said uh, we have the smartest software that we've ever had, um, but, you know, we still have, you know, really complex problems. And it just seems yeah. like things it's are getting more difficult. So with the services that you're providing, just, I don't know, man, makes things uh, uh, just a little bit easier, right? You know, just, just a little bit more palatable. Uh, and you're not trying to break the bank, man. I've been st- strolling through your websites, um, and everything's like a buck, a dollar fifty, three dollars here and there. And then you've got this uh, subscription service. You've got uh, an AutoCAD to Revit series, where if you're familiar with AutoCAD, you're going to help them transition to Revit. Uh, I think that's coming soon, eventually. Yeah. Um, but but you've, I mean, everything's so affordable. It's like you're not out to, it, it almost seems like you're marketing to a consumer rather than a, a, a company because these prices are so low. Um, but that said, with all that you're doing, um, you know, what, what's next? Like, what, what is the next uh, focus for you in, in this development? What I'm working on now is mostly um, I'm, I'm doing a whole lot of C-sharp programming. As okay. I've been spending like days on learning C-sharp because I, I know that the families let let's be honest someone down pays a buck for my family dollar 75 and they can share it with anybody they want i know that there, there's no way to regulate your family so um you gotta get the siskiyou level of development where they can turn yeah. it off <laughs> <laughs> well i have the entire siskiyou library from four years ago but we don't use it but you know i still have it um because we had purchased siskiyou at one time it's not like we deleted it from our server but the uh and so what I'm looking at is, one, is I'm going to do a video series that's coming soon, uh, the A to R, which I'm going to help people who are familiar with AutoCAD go move into Revit. What I see a lot of times is people teaching Revit, but not using AutoCAD terms. So people understand what a XREF is as opposed to a linked model or a parameter as opposed to an attribute. So... I will give Dave a plug here, and I will say Dave is the only person I've met that actually does that because he used to teach AutoCAD at a college, and Mm -hmm. uh, now he teaches Revit. So, like, he's got that mentality, but you're right, man. Like, most people, they just – they don't do it. Like, it's, oh, yeah, so we're going to start you out in Revit. It's like, well, but this isn't the way we did it in AutoCAD. Well, we're not talking about AutoCAD. We're talking about Revit. But I want to know – how to do the things they do in AutoCAD in Revit, and I want to know what this means in Revit terminology. Like, give me that one to one. And uh, you're right, man. They out of the box courses. They they just don't do it for whatever reason. Yeah, and that's where I'm going to start from. And I'm going to start it from my wife wants to teach me to teach my 11 year old how to use Revit because she's always on Minecraft, building her own little houses and everything, doing all that. That's my son. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I can teach an 11-year-old how to use Revit and draw walls and be proficient, for anyone who wants to learn auto or wants to learn Revit, learn the architecture side first. Learn how to draw a wall, how to draw a floor, how to do that. I mean, I don't yep. care if you're in MEP because Revit was designed for architects. Yep. Everything about it is architectural. And 
the MEP, the structural, everything else, that's secondary. It's all about the architectural objects. So once you get there, that's that's where it's at. And, yeah. And and that's like the next thing for me. Once I leave Magnolia, I'm going to start focusing on that. And um, then after that, it's going to be plugins because I know plugins are much easier to regulate than other ones. And it's still going to be part of the subscription service. So if I write a plugin for a section tool that you can click on a wall or a piece of pipe, a piece of furniture, and then a section goes around it instead of waiting for where you draw the section and you got to wait a couple minutes or a minute to 30 seconds for it to cut 600 feet through the building because it doesn't Revit just kind of intuitively tries to figure out how long your section wants to be and what's included. So I'm I'm looking at trying to dip into the plugging stuff and I'm probably going to end up have to hire people to write the plugins, but I want to be able to read what they write. That's why I'm learning. Yeah. Because I want to make sure that there's not nothing nefarious in, in there or someone's trying to, um, you know, get some digs. Because I heard your podcast with one of the guys uh, a couple months ago where he was saying that, um, you know, was for, for security reasons and stuff. And that really raised a red flag. So I'm like, I better learn how to read programming so that I can make sure that there's nothing nefarious in <laughs> Yeah, and and that makes sense, man. Yeah, that was Britton Langdon of uh, M Suite. Um, if you need to hook up, you know hook up with some developers or people that actually you know developers that actually understand the industry, you know, let me know, man. I'm I'm happy to have this conversation offline. Steer you in the right direction. There's people out there that are uh, well versed and in, in it. Yeah, and they want to help. They, yeah, that's it. They're always looking to push the industry forward. Like it's not just a a me and a we situation. They're like, dude, let's do this for everybody. You know, it's like, let's solve the world's problems in BIM. Uh, And and that's the thing I love about BIM. And I'm sure you probably feel the same way. It's just that we've gotten to this, this point where it is such a community. Dave, I jumped onto the call earlier while we were talking about like our networks on LinkedIn, I guess it was. And uh, you were like, Hey man, I you know, I've only got like, you know, 500, a thousand people. I've been lazy, I guess, about reaching out. But Joe's got this many people, and it's like it's not that I have that many people. It's just that the the community for BIM and the sharing of information is so large. Like, man, I had like you know 30 new contacts a day at least. Um, it's just it, it, people want want information. They want to share information. They want to get information. It's got to be meaningful. So I think the service that you're you're providing with Valerie DC, and we'll throw a link up up on our webpage as well as included in the uh, the links for uh, the podcast. Um, but like, you know, just, just showing like, look, you, you know, you're really helping trying to push this, this industry forward from a constructability standpoint. I see a lot of your content today is, is piping focused. Are you looking to expand that beyond piping? Uh, you know, tell me, tell me some of your big ambitions. Uh, I'll build anything. If, if somebody wants something, I mean, I, I'll, you know, I'll try and build anything. Like I said, I, I try to stray away from a lot of manufacturers equipment like cooling towers chillers ac units because i think the manufacturers do a pretty decent job with that um but always check the dimensions you you don't ever want to place a cooling tower have them pour the pillars put all the dunnage in and then find out you're sitting a foot above the windscreen never a good day when you have to tell the owner of the company that that's the problem i had an employee that had to do that one time well, he told me, and then I had to go tell the owner that we made a boo-boo. We didn't check the, the family that, that that came in with the submittals. 
But, was uh, this because the dimensions that were created were fudged uh, off of the geometry? Um, no, it was that we had two. We had an original cooling tower, and that was submitted. And then they said, "Oh, it's too big. It's too high. It's not a b- below the w- windscreen." So we got a. So they we got a different cooling tower, and they sent us a second family, but somewhere in the mix the first family never got taken out of the model and nobody <laughs> double checked it before it was poured and they literally poured all the all the pillars and they put all the dunnage up set the tower there and then you know a month and a half later we're blocking it all up putting <laughs> lifting the tower up a few inches cutting a foot off each pillar lowering all the dunnage yeah man it, 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 it was just a nightmare so Always double check your content. Anything you download from, even if the manufacturer says it's, even if it's from their site, always check because they make mistakes just like any anyone else out there. Um, yeah, that's that that's always a big boo boo. Well, I mean that's a good lesson learned, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I look forward to revisiting this. You know, uh, obviously you and I have been chatting for a while about your uh, your new venture and um, you've been working on a lot of these components for quite some time. So for you to actually, you know, finally phase out of your current role, go 100% at your new role and, you know, talk about coordination, all the other services that you're providing. Like, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I'd like to follow up in, you know, six months or so and kind of see how things are going um, and, and kind of revisit. Because uh, I, I definitely anticipate some big things, especially as you provide content that, um, it's meaningful and is easy to use. It, it's lightweight um, and and it's it's real content. It's not it's not some fluffed up, you know. Hey, oh, we're gonna give you level, you know, uh, LOD, uh, th- you know, 350 or 400. Um, that's you know too bloated to use. Your content is actually usable and it's LOD 350 minimum, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's all uh, designed to. So if you want to fabricate something from it, you can instead of having to use it because that's what we used before we used fabrication parts. So, um, you know, we were like Victalic. We, we were 100 uh, percent Revit families for a long time. It's just that the, fab, the fabrication families are just pretty much shit simple to use. I mean, I can I can literally get someone started drawing with fabrication parts inside of Revit within a day or two. I mean, here's your view take this and stack this here and put this here and they're like oh this is great it's like working in the field they, they don't quite understand view <laughs> range or, or, or how to do a lot of other stuff but i'd get somebody moving with it you know yeah you rather pick, quickly pick 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 your uh, parts model from them and then pick your connections yeah. and go from there that's it it's it's, yeah, uh, it's pretty yeah, straightforward families, you know it's a little different you, you, you got to think differently you got to think big picture just draw one big pipe and then draw your T's and then just reduce the size of the pipe as you go down. You're editing stuff as you draw with fabrication fittings. It's, it, they take longer. I, I, I think I can draw, I wouldn't say twice as fast with uh, families as I can with fabrication fittings. Because I can just draw one long pipe, draw, take, do my T takeoffs, and just click on each pipe and say this is now... Instead of two inch, it's now inch and a half, and then on the other side of the T is one inch, and then you know, and that and and it just goes. But 
you know, you, you got to pick your poison, what's easy to use or what you want to use. Part of the reason why I'm going to business myself so I can just draw with families. That's smart. Well, hopefully, man, and I'm sure you have, you've got probably a big book of business to open up and, and uh, jump it through. So again, man, six months, six months from now. Yeah. I'm looking, I'm looking to see how you've uh, transformed the industry. Oh, oh, I plan on taking on the world. Not just me. <laughs> We're going to change the world. Taking the world by storm. I, I love it, man. I love yeah, That's big aspirations there. Yeah. You know, not just solving Maryland and D.C., you know, where <laughs> there's a wealth of problems, but and not just the U.S. where we've got all our problems, not just North America, but the whole entire world, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I told ambitions. the owner. He's like, is there anything I can do to keep you to stay? And, and I'm like, dude, I have too much to give the world. And I, I, I just can't do it from my chair in, in, in my cubicle. And uh, so that's world hey, domination. Man, that's a big step, and I applaud brain. you for it. That's awesome. It's a hard step to take a lot of times is leaving that you know safety net that you have to, to really follow the dreams that you, that, that you want to pursue. That's now, convincing, awesome. Convincing the wife. Dave and I talk about it all the time. We're like, man, we should, we should, you know, go do this venture and and solve the world's problems and do this and this. And we're like, well, a, we, you know, we love the company we work for. We we need a steady paycheck. Our wives would kill us. And I don't think you and I know enough to solve the world's problems, man. Like, <laughs> but Chris, man, the, the the issues that you've brought up, you've actually educated me. Uh, and you know, I don't, my my experience does not go back 20 years, to say the least. But uh, you've educated me quite a bit in this. Uh, you know, actually helping me understand a lot of people's pain points here. This is this has been a great podcast. I'm 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 excited to re-listen to this later. Oh, sweet. Nice. I'm, I'm dumbfounded. Ah, dude, it's great. No, I, I mean, I, I love, this is why we started this podcast. Cause we, you know, we, of course we, we have some knowledge of things, but we know that, you know, we're also lacking in others. And Jack of all, all trades, master of none, man. Exactly, like we, dude. That's we, it. And, D- oh, ahead, Dave and I can get you through like all the scanning and the blue beam and BIM and CAD and we can talk SIM and we can put pieces together. We can make the software work. We can do stuff. We can talk to you. But, it, you know, at the end of the day, there's always somebody that's like a freaking 100 miles like you, 100 miles out in front of us. That's like, oh, we've actually done this, this and this. And it solves this problem. It's like, yeah, man, you were nowhere it's great near to there, share right? that. You know, it's just great to share it, to share that information. And and, I mean, to be able to learn it in general is awesome to be able to see that from another perspective that we typically don't see. You know, that's that's always great. But being able to share this information and and, you know, allow other people to be. That's what this is about, man. This is all about sharing information. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Chris, again, man, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Uh, I am out of beer myself, so I'm going to I feel like this is uh, an adequate stopping point, gentlemen. Um, enjoy your weekends. Uh, any any parting words to, to leave with our, our listeners? No, just I mean, learn Revit. I mean, it's the future. CAD, we, we, we all know CAD's dead. They just haven't put the bullet in it yet. Mm-hmm. Learn Revit and just anytime someone wants to talk Revit, just find me. Because I, I will talk to them blue in the face about Revit. I so they to, can reach you at ValorVDC.com, but wh- how else can anybody reach out to you? 
Uh, that's pretty much the best way to find me. There's a contact us page at the bottom or my email, Chris at ValorVDC.com. Okay. Are you on LinkedIn as well? Yes, I'm on LinkedIn. I have a Twitter profile, uh, ValorVDC at Chris at ValorVDC. Everything is centered around ValorVDC. Uh, yeah, I'm shamelessly using my army disability to uh, try to gain a couple more. <laughs> nah, dude, that's awesome, dude. I, so actually, I'm a I'm a disabled army vet as well. I did oh, two nice. tours in Afghanistan. Yeah, no, dude, I I, I love veteran-owned businesses and will shamelessly plug them every time that I can. <laughs> Hence our battlegrounds, bullets. Uh, yeah, the, the yeah, bullets the there. Bullet. Yeah, dude, the yeah. battleground farm. They're another great veteran company that I'll support. Uh, I found, you know, Til Valhalla. They're a, a veteran group that sells like coffee cups and stuff like that. But all their I actually got soda. some Valhalla um, coffee the other day, man. Yeah, dude, it's great. You know, and I, I will shamelessly do it. I, I love veterans, fellow veterans, you know, um, and, you know, hopefully one day I get to the point of where I can utilize some of those VA benefits to try and start my own business. But, you know, until then, I'm, I'm, I will be continuously supporting any of you guys that I can. Oh, I thank you. Yeah, it was my privilege to serve. I mean, I, I loved my time in the Army. It was fantastic. That's awesome. Now, what, what did you do in the Army, if I can ask? Uh, I was a combat engineer. Ah, and, dude, 12B. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And uh, we were attached to an infantry... Uh, well, a combined arms battalion, so we had infantry and yep. tanks and yep, yep. strikers engineers. and everything like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was Heck, fun. Yeah. I mean, you know, we got to blow shit up, which was. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, nothing like explosives. Not that I want to use them now, but my time in the army, it was. It felt like the finger of God sometimes when <laughs> you know, that shockwave would just hit you. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. Joey and I talked about it. Um, we talk about it, you know, here and there, but a part of a building is, you know, demolition. And I always, I, I thought about when I got back from my second deployment there for a while, I thought about, man, that'd be so cool to be able to place charges on these structures and just blow them. You know, I have quite a bit of experience with running charges and stuff. That'd be pretty neat. Uh, but, you know, it's never something I really got into, but it's always something that I like to keep track of still as I'm in the industry, you know, watching as buildings are demolished and how they set their charges and things like that. It's it's something that never really leaves you, I think, especially yeah. the feeling of that explosion passing through you. That blast as it just kind of moves through you. It's something else. I'll never yeah. forget, dude, my first sergeant, like one of the first explosions I went through. He uh, he told me, you got to keep your mouth open, man. And I'm like, what? And he goes, you got to keep your mouth open. And I'm like, well, uh, OK. And he goes, it's so your brain doesn't turn to jelly, dude. <laughs> I'm like, okay. All right. Thank you. <laughs> I'll remember to do that. I should you not every even fireworks now. I, I just I don't know why, but I feel my mouth going open when I feel that that kind of shockwave or that blast. And I'm like, oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can honestly say I never heard that, but um, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, yeah, I've, I've had people put on painting radar repellent paint on the side of tanks before. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I've had my soldiers out there doing that. Yeah, we need to, this bucket of radar repellent paint. You need to put it right on the side of the tank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you got this box like four or five feet out in front of your truck that you're driving around just in yeah. case it got any like lasers pointing across the road. Yeah, yep, yep. Oh man, good stuff. We'll have to catch up and talk about that again sometime, Chris. That's uh, it's very cool always getting to talk to another 12B. You know, I don't find them too often, so it's cool. Uh, 
getting to find another one and, and talk a little bit of explosives. Now that I think about it, I got to throw a, uh, a a castle on my uh, website now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Put the engineer castle up there. Heck yeah. Yep. Heck yeah. Well, thanks again, Chris, man. And we'll we'll definitely keep in touch. All right. Thank you. Thank you.